0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Thank you for joining us this week as we continue our teaching series on the book of Revelation. Good morning. This crowd is definitely more awake than first service, for sure. You guys slept in, enjoyed it a little bit. How many people were celebrating Cougar win last night? That happened? A couple people. I've heard that's important here. I'm new. It's sort of a big deal, right? Okay. Um, so, if you were not here last week, then you don't know who I am. Uh, my name is Thad, and I'm going to be the new uh, campus uh, coach here at Pullman, and uh, you're going to start getting to see a little bit more of me, and I'll get to see a little bit more of you. And um, My wife, Lanny is not here yet, so she's got a couple more weeks of work in Montana left. And um, when I say Montana, not the cool Montana, the almost North Dakota Montana, so <laughs> Don't be like all jealous that, oh, they were from Montana. It's not the good Montana. Um, (laughs) Some people can relate, I can tell. Um, So uh, my wife and I have known Aaron and Kelly for about 12, 13 years, and way back when Aaron was crazy enough to uh, take a shot and let me uh, join the team at Real Life and get involved in youth ministry up in Post Falls. Um, which proves that he was a little bit crazy because I had no idea what I was doing, Um, and he let me do it anyways, and so he's still fairly crazy uh, because he called me again. So we know that he hasn't figured everything out yet. He still doesn't know that I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm really good at faking. I'm just kidding. Um, So we're going to get a chance to get to know each other a little bit more over the weeks and months to come. Um... I'm starting in the middle of a Revelation series, which means there's all sorts of meat and exciting things to dig into. But, real quick, while you got your pins out and you're finishing up connection cards and stuff like that, um, please mark down October 7th and 8th. It's a real important weekend for our church. The 8th, our whole church, uh, Pullman, uh, Colfax, and beyond, everybody else from the outline areas, we're all. Caravanning over to Moscow on the 8th, and we're going to do church together as one big church and celebrate our 10-year anniversary, which is pretty sweet, 10 years. Um, I rolled in just in time for the party, and, uh, and then October 7th, uh, all of us here on this side of the Palouse Church in Pullman and the surrounding areas, we're going to get together probably at the extension office, we're still nailing down details, but just save the date, the 7th, we're going to get together as a church this side over here and we're going to get a chance to get to know my wife and I a little bit better, Noah who is our uh, last son at home with us, I, my oldest son is moving out here as well, I'm not sure if he'll be here by then or not, but you get a chance to get to know us a little bit, give us a chance to get to know you guys a little. little bit more and hear a little bit more about our passion and excitement and thoughts about the future of uh, real life on the Palouse and in Pullman and hear uh, things that you guys are excited about. So um, just kind of save those dates as important dates for us here. So like I said, I get the excitement of jumping into the middle of a Revelation series, Every Preacher's Dream, right? So uh, in the famous words of Aaron and Marty... We've got some work to do. You guys are ready to go? Have yeah. you ever heard that before? Okay. Yeah. So we're going to dig in right away. A uh, couple quick points to recap. Uh, apocalyptic literature is this uh, genre of literature we're in, and it's a style of writing that John's using in the book of Revelation that uses a whole bunch of images, symbols, signs, visions, and crazy imagery to represent other people, places, and things. And for us in our world today, when we read about scorpions with horses' heads and ladies with crowns and diadems, and it sort of goes, whew, It's like an episode of The Lord of the Rings that we missed, that we didn't see that one. And so it's important that we don't just let it go like this and drive right by and ignore all that stuff because it doesn't make sense on the surface. And we learn a little bit more about how the author is using uh, this genre, how he's using this style of writing. So um, we see lots of it in Revelations, and we'll dig into a little bit more of it today. The next point of, uh, kind of recap real quick, is uh, Aaron and Marty say a lot, like we're bringing context into text. Um, sorry, we're bringing text into context. And they'll be maybe in a passage, and you'll hear him say something like, um, hey, what's the author trying to say there? Where do you think he's getting that? Where is it? It's in the and I know you guys say it. I've heard it. So you guys, so they'll say it's in the text. And all they're trying to say is that the authors will take Old Testament scriptures, uh, teaching from Old Testament prophets, and bring that lesson or analogy or historical story, and they'll bring it forward into the context of the story they're telling here. And so the people that they're writing to will have this old stuff in mind and it will make sense as they read it in the new context. Okay, so that's all we're mean, meaning when we say we're bringing the text forward into the context and i will kind of show up as we get in. So, let's dive in. Let's uh, jump into the first part uh, of Revelation chapter 12. We get some crazy imagery here, so hang with me. A great sign appeared in heaven and a woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and on her head a tw- crown of 12 stars. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she, was, uh, she had a place prepared by God in which she was to be nourished for 1260 days. So, a lot of stuff in there. Some key characters in this story. And the first one that we're going to kind of unpack a little bit is the woman. And so if we take that same kind of uh, idea of, What would the first century readers have thought when they read this imagery and this vision that John shared about this woman? Who would have come to mind? What might they have thought? And you you could take the literal, literal approach. Maybe they looked at it strictly as Mary, the mother of Jesus. Here we see an image of a woman who is in the pains of birth, gives birth to a male child. The male child's caught up to be with God in heaven. And at first glance, kind of the literal approach makes sense. But then as you play that out further, it doesn't fit very well. So maybe he was trying to use the woman to represent the nation of Israel, who had often been referred to as a bride, and who from uh, God's people, the nation of Israel, from their line, the Messiah would come. And so maybe that is who the woman represents. Then we could take it and look at another angle. Maybe it's just the, the early church. Maybe it's all the Jews and the Gentiles. Maybe he's using the woman to represent all of them, and the example of the 12 stars on the crown kind of ties in both the nation of Israel idea and the early church idea makes sense in this scripture when we see that she had a place prepared for her and she fled into the wilderness. And so either way, those kind of fit. And I think this is one of those parts of this passage where um, we don't want to get hung up on it. I think that John is trying to paint a bigger picture, give us a bigger point or a bigger lesson through this whole chapter, this whole chunk of scripture in whole. And so uh, there's different ways you could land on that in different camps or even a combination of those things. But I think if we get into the whole chapter in context, we're going to see a more important point that John's trying to make. So let's keep rolling. Now war arose in heaven, and Michael and his angels were fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of our Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. So at this next chunk, we're going to take a look at is who's, who's the dragon? Who's the red dragon that comes up in this picture? And you could kind of look at it at first glance and just take it literally. In verse 9, John says that he's uh, the red dragon is like the ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan. And so you could just kind of go, okay, check, we got that one. We know who he is. But then you'd miss a little bit more of the context, a little bit more of the message that John's trying to draw his readers back to. There's some imagery and some phrases that John uses a lot in this chapter of Revelation and other places where he talks about the dragon being cast down to earth, being thrown down, his angels being cast down with him. And it's imagery that his readers would have been familiar with, and it would have painted a picture to them. It would have brought to their recollection stories that the prophet Isaiah had told about the nation of Babylon, this great nation that had oppressed God's people and had had, had them under, his, uh, under their thumb, so to speak. And Isaiah prophesied and shared this uh, slamming for lack of a better way I say it. I mean, he was calling out the king of Babylon, talking about what was gonna happen. Let's take a look at that real quick in Isaiah 14. Isaiah says this to the king of Babylon. He says, have, "'How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of dawn. "'You have been cast down to the earth, "'you who once laid, the low, uh, laid low the nations. "'You said in your heart, "'I will ascend to the heavens, "'I will raise my throne above the stars of God.'" I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly at the utmost heights of the Mount of Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds and I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. And Isaiah is calling out the king of Babylon, not only the king of Babylon, but the nation of Babylon. He's going, how dare you say that you're gonna be like my God? How dare you say that you're gonna be uh, set on high Like, my God, you don't know who you're messing with. You're going to be brought low. And John is using imagery and examples and phrases that his readers, that would help paint a picture for his readers of something to remind them that we've been here before. His first century readers that were going to hear this uh, letter of revelation were under Roman rule. They were oppressed. They had laws against their faith. There was punishment For what they believed in. And John's pointing them back that yes, we have a great dragon that is against us. We have an enemy, but our enemy has been against us in the past. We've been under the rule of a great nation before. And he's trying to help them see the past to hang in there for the future, that we've been here before. We're going to learn a little bit more in the next week and I think the week after a little bit more about this idea of uh, Rome and Satan and and the oppression of the people and how this different dragon that comes out. And so we'll kind of learn a little bit more about that. But um, next in the Revelation here, John takes his readers and he points them back to Christians that have come before him to encourage them. So let's kind of take a look at what he says about them. He says, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows his time is short. John's pointing these first century Christians back to how believers before them stayed the course. How did they overcome the schemes of the devil? How did they overcome the oppression of the nation that they lived in and the laws that they were under and the rules that were made against them? They overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. He's reminding them there is a way. And we're gonna circle back to that a little bit more in just a second. Um, let's finish up with Revelation uh, 12 here. He said, and when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time, and times, and a half time. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep away, uh, sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river. That the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and those to hold to the testimony of Jesus. So, what John's saying is that the, the deceiver, Satan, the great accuser who opposes God and God's plan, has been at this from the beginning. He was at war with God in heaven. He was thrown down to earth, and he was opposed to God's plan to bring forth the Savior. He did everything in his power, and when that plan failed, he went after the Savior himself in the flesh and blood. And he opposed Jesus himself, and when he couldn't get Jesus off track or stop him from fulfilling his death on the cross, then he turned himself to the Christians that would come after this category in here, John calls the rest of us. That's us, folks. And I don't know about you, but when I read this, and I read that this great dragon, as he's described, paints a pretty freaky imagery, pretty scary imagery, um, it, and it paints a picture that this dragon has been hard at work doing everything he can since the beginning of time to oppose God and God's plan and God's people. And then it gets to this spot in this chapter where John says, And then the dragon became furious and turned to make war on the rest. It kind of makes you stop for a second and think, what Was he like annoyed before? Was he just sort of mad? but it's one of those little catches that should get your attention and then he became furious and he came to make war against the rest of us and John's painting this picture for these first century Christians the same as he's painting it for us here he's helping them remember yes you have an enemy yes you face persecution yes you've been oppressed but we've been here before We've been under the rule of an evil nation before. We've been under the pursuit of the devil. And we've conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. He's trying to help him remember things and just help us remember things like we've been persecuted before, we've been put down, we've been jailed, we've had laws made against our faith before, we've been mocked for what we believe. We've been in this tiny minority that people think are a little bit crazy and closed-minded because we think male and female and husband and wife and what the Bible teaches is right in a super hyper-sexualized culture where everything goes. He's like, this isn't new. We've been here before. And the way we conquer is by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. It's the same today as it was then. We conquer the enemy and the schemes that he makes against us in our lives and our family and our friends' lives the same today as they did then. It's through relationship with one another. It's through our faithfulness to Christ and his death on the cross to pay the price for our sins. And when we we hear something like this where we say they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, it's kind of easy to drive by and just kind of take it for granted as one of those sort of a Bible sounding thing. But it's a powerful, powerful thing. It's the key that unlocks our method to conquer the enemy and evil in our lives, in our world, in our community, in our homes. And when you hear... The power of your testimony. I know like if you've been around church for very long, a lot of people you think powerful testimony and you think you think of like the guy that was in the undercover Harley gang and went off the deep end and he went crazy for drugs and then he turned his whole life around and now he's evangelizing everybody for Jesus and he has this crazy testimony. And you're like, I don't have a story like that. I just kind of got to know Jesus and now I go to school and I work at a job and and I'm here to tell you that's not at all what we're talking about. I don't know if you realize how powerful your testimony is, your faithfulness to Christ, your faithfulness to the blood of the lamb and your commitment to follow Christ through thick and thin, through thick and thin. How powerful that is when it's brought out in the context of relationships. When you know people that are in a marriage that's really struggling, they're ready to throw in the towel, they're kind of sick of each other, they're second-guessing if it was the right thing to do to begin with, and you in relationship have the opportunity to share with them how you stayed faithful to Christ and faithful to your spouse through thick and thin and times when you didn't feel like you loved them and times where you second-guessed if it was the right thing to do. But it's that vehicle, that relationship that you have with them where you bring up the testimony of how you stay true to Christ and to one another, that is Satan conquering, evil conquering testimony in real life. For a lot of college kids, it's really easy to, um, I say college kids because like for some of us older people it's so far back you can't remember sixth grade. Um, but for college kids, you can kind of look back over your shoulder in high school and middle school or not too far back. You still, have, you still have some great memories and you have like horrible flashbacks where you wake up with the sweats with those middle school memories, right? There was those tough times when things were crazy. The girl that picked on you relentlessly that you just don't know how you ever survived her. Guys, gym class, the shower earth-shattering stuff to a sixth grader. And there's so much more that goes on to that. But do you know how powerful your testimony is as a young adult to be able to come alongside kids that are going through that stuff and go, been there, done that. This is what it looked like for me to be a Christian in that. And through relationship with them, encourage them and strengthen them them and help them stay the course and love the Lord and grow in their love of the Lord through tough times. For a lot of older folks in here, um, and I'm not, I will gotta preface this a little bit, because it, it can come off when I'm, when I was thinking through how to explain this, it can kind of come off the wrong way. For a lot of older folks in here, and I say, I'm saying in the church in general, okay? Brand new First Sunday here, I know about six names tops. So I'm not making any assumptions about you folks or our church at Real Life or anything like that. So that was my precursor. Don't be mad at me. But for older folks who oftentimes have been the backbone of the church, they're the reason the church is still there for people to come to today. They were the ones that set up and tore down. They were the ones that taught Sunday school. They were the ones that fed meals and took care of people when they were in the hospital and loved on people. They were the ones that were discipling the younger people in their family what can happen is the culture starts to change and the feeling of the church starts to change and it's a little more technology advanced, maybe and the music's a little newer or faster or louder and things change and the older crowd can tend to take an approach like, we've been there a long time, we've done it a long time, it's time to pass this church stuff on to the younger crowd and kind of have a retire from church mentality. And I'm here to tell you that the success of our church The health of this church, our ability to take ground here in Pullman and on the Palouse and beyond is not in Facebook or no Facebook or whether we're great at Instagram or whatever all that stuff is. It's not whether we have a building, don't have a building. None of that stuff matters. What matters is if we have people that are faithful Christians that love the Lord and have been a part of God's kingdom for a long time that don't retire from church. I'm not saying you go serve every Sunday school. Maybe you've done it for 20 years and you need a break. But don't retire from relationship in the church. Be engaged. Be involved. Be a part of community here at this church and pass on the spiritual lessons. Share with people how to get through hard times. Share with people how to get through times when you're dead broke. Paul made a plea a lot uh, really similar to this when he had a church in Corinth that was getting a little off track. He, he had heard that this church in Corinth that he had planted was... Uh, Kind of coming apart at the seams a little bit. They were getting sideways, a lot of voices in the church telling them what to do and saying which way they should go. There were some false teachers involved. And he was it was kind of breaking his heart and tearing him up. I just imagine Paul having a gut ache hearing the stuff he was hearing about this church he loved. And so like a, a loving dad, he sends his go-to guy. He sends like his spiritual son. Who's he's basically adopted as a dad spiritually, he sends Timothy to go to this church and to invest in them and to check up on them and ask them how they're doing them and remind them what's important. And then Paul wrote this stuff to him. Let's check this out. In 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul's writing this. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. And again, I'm not saying this for us, but if, if I was to kind of paraphrase what would Paul's pep talk to the church maybe sound like to modern church in America right now. He might say something like, church, listen, don't tune out. I'm trying to tell you something and I'm not trying to make you guilty. I'm not trying to guilt you into doing something or make you do it because you feel bad. I'm not trying to embarrass you, but I'm trying to give you a kick in the butt like I would my kids because I love them. I'm trying to remind you that this is important and it matters. He might say something like, I know you live in a time where there are countless spiritual guides vying for your attention. There's a thousand authors that say theirs is the right way to help you be a better Christian. There are websites upon websites. There are studies. There are churches on every corner. I know there are a lot of people and places and things vying to help you be a better Christian. And he'd say something like, oddly enough, I look around and I wonder, where are your spiritual fathers Where are the faithful mothers in your churches? Where is your spiritual brothers and sisters? It would break his heart like it should break ours. To love the Lord and to look around and to see someone ever in our church that doesn't have somebody in relationship with them, loving on them and caring about them and caring about their soul. Caring about their walk with Christ. Kind of a subject that's pretty near and dear to my heart. Um, My wife and I both grew up in uh, it's bad that there's even has to be this term, but it's a regular church term now that we both grew up first generation Christians. So all that means is that in my family and my wife's family, our parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, anybody we ha- could have a knowable relationship with that wasn't dead before we were born, there are no Christians. Not one. And it's only by God's grace that I came to know Christ, that my wife came to know Christ, and that we came to be in relationship with people at a church. We literally The first time I ever went to a church, I didn't go to church growing up, I looked up the yellow pages and where it said church and I picked the first one and that's where we went. That's how green and I didn't know anything about church. And God worked through faithful people in that congregation to build a relationship with us and become spiritual parents in our lives. The mom and dad that we needed when our marriage was on the rocks. The mom and dad that we needed when we had no idea how to parent kids in a blended family. We had spiritual family coming alongside us every step of the way, having our back, helping us with our kids, helping us with our personal stuff, helping us with our finances, doing what families should do. Man, I gotta tell you, there is absolutely no way I would be here today without that. There's no way I would be here doing what I'm doing. There's no way that I would be in Pullman, that I would have an opportunity to share stuff like this with you guys, I'd be off in who knows where doing, who knows what. And to be perfectly honest with you, without that spiritual support, that church family network of real people really caring about us, we probably wouldn't be married. I don't think we would have made it. I can tell you there are so many times where things were so hard And we had so many people loving on us and helping us and encouraging us. I don't know how we would have done it without them. But we did. They did. They were there and they had our back. And here we are. Uh, Last week, 18 years of marriage we celebrated. So it's a pretty good start. Paul's making that same plea to that church as I make to our church. I I just pray that that we're a place where people come and find spiritual family. I pray that we're a place where people come and get connected and it's life changing. I hope and pray that this is the kind of place where people come to college and stay for life. Not because of a job, but because of relationships. Life changing, Jesus full, spiritual parents, family, brothers and sisters that they can't find, and a depth of concern and care for one another like you don't get anywhere else. That that would be this kind of place. If we go back to Revelation, we remember what John was saying to those early believers that there is an enemy, there is an accuser. He is out to get us, and that's legit. It's real. And the way to overcome his schemes and the evil in our world and the evil and the schemes of the enemy in our lives is through the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And that's got to happen in relationship. And right now, we're going to have the servers pass uh, communion trays. As we're kind of wrapping up here, um, they're going to pass out communion. We have what we call a open table. And so what that means is if you're a Christian, if you love the Lord, we would love for you to take communion with us. That's all it means. And uh, as they pass the elements out, if you would just hang on to those, and then while we go through a few things, they'll get everything passed out, and then we'll take communion together at the end, so let's look at a couple of implications or kind of takeaway points from this sermon. They're up here on the screen and they're in your notes too. Um, God has always chosen to partner with the faithfulness of his people. Kind of let that sink in for a second. It's one of those churchy sounding things that you could just drive right by. God has always chosen to partner with the faithfulness of his people. What a crazy thing. God, sovereign, sovereign knowledgeable of all things at all times, chooses to fight the enemy. Thanks. Chooses to oppose the enemy and advance his kingdom by trusting us to faithfully follow and love him and faithfully follow and love people, especially those who are lost. He's been doing it since the beginning of time. God worked through guys, famous fathers of the faith, like Abraham and Moses and the apostle Paul, and he worked through a couple guys you've never heard of named uh, Doug and John from Bonners Ferry, Idaho, who were a couple contractors who also happened to love Jesus that hired me to clean up boards and nails and scrape roofs when I was a kid And God worked through the faithfulness of those guys to show me what did it look like to be a Christian guy. They didn't preach at me a whole bunch. It wasn't a special tract they used. They were just Christians who lived. And I got to watch them be Christians and, and love and care and how they cared about things and what they talked about. And God worked through those faithful guys. Next up. However we choose to respond to the problem of evil, it must be done in the company of other people. We know we have an enemy. We know we have this dragon who's furious, who is at war against us, who accuses us day and night and comes against the saints and those that God loves. And how we choose to respond to that, whatever method we take, it needs to be with other people it's not a Lone Ranger war you wanna try. The cool thing here at Real Life is there are so many ways for you to be with other people. To fight these fights, to fight these battles on your own is crazy when you have people that are really cool people that want you in their home group. When you have students that would love your help and input in their life and how to follow Christ, whether there's women's groups where you're struggling through things that you just can't talk to another guy, home group's not the spot for it. What a blessing that we have a church where there's women that will come alongside you and help walk with you through those battles. And I would just say right now that if you're here and you're not connected and you're not plugged in with other people, please, Don't go it alone. Don't go it alone. There are battles that are going on in your heart and in your life that can be overcome in a living room conversation with someone else that's been there, done that, and can help you understand how to follow Christ in your situation, or maybe just pray for you and encourage you. Get connected, get plugged in. There's all of us guys out here and the gals. You ask anybody, we'll figure out how to get you in the right spot. I don't know any of them, but I will find out. We'll help you. That's the point. Last one. Our job is to partner with God in overcoming evil by walking in faithful obedience. Our part is to stay the course. Our part is to hear the message of John to these guys in Revelation that we've been here before to stay the course. It's really hard to do on your own. I don't know how many of you ever tried to do a one-man gym membership on your own. Like, it, they don't last very long, right? Self-help, when you're the self-helping yourself, is pretty terrible. Get plugged in with other people and don't do this on your own. The fact that we have this to stay faithful to, that we have Christ that died on the cross for us, is so reassuring for us as Christians because we know that not only did he win the war, but he conquered death. And when we get together every weekend, that's what we celebrate. And so Jesus did just that with his guys. He got together with them and he broke bread and he blessed it and he gave it to him and He told him to take this and eat, that this was his body. And then he passed the cup and he blessed it and he told him to drink that this was the covenant that was poured out for many. Let's drink. it. Let me just pray for you guys. Lord, we, we just thank you so much for this church. God, what a blessing that we live in a country where we could come and do this any day of the week. We could talk about you openly anywhere we want. Let us never take that for granted, Lord. Take full advantage of it. I pray, Lord, for each and every person here, Lord, that you would draw them not only to yourself, but to other people. I pray that this would be a place where people find spiritual family like nowhere else, that there is Holy Spirit superglue working on here, Lord, that you just really help bind people together, encourage us, and help us through our testimony, Lord, to overcome the schemes of the devil. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from real life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com.